hello, this is Required Reading, a podcast about revisiting the most impactful books from our childhood. I'm your host, Erin Bowles. I'm an actor and writer. And our guest this week is Georgia Shank. She's a comedian and screenwriter. She's a contributor for Redactorist who trained with Second City and is currently writing a coming-of-age pilot. And you can't see this, but Georgia has an amazing background of Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. I sure uh, do. Which we're definitely going to talk about. I'm so, <laughs> and I'm so glad that it is specifically Rehoboth. <laughs> I, so there's a reason I chose this background. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll go over it, but I, I think you might already have an idea. The book today is The Summer I Turned Pretty by Jenny Han. And I mean, let's just get going, Georgia. Why this book? What's your story so, with it? My story with this book, I grew up in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, but I'm originally from Maryland. But this was one of my favorite books growing up. I grew up by the beach, so obviously it was really easy to picture myself in the characters that I was reading about. And I have a lot of grief in my life, so I double down in it. We're both from Maryland, which is... uh... I went to college in Georgia, ironic, and the <laughs> there were so many Marylanders there. And the biggest yeah. thing I learned is that we're obsessed with talking about the state. Oh my God, we're obsessed. I don't know anybody with more state pride than Marylanders. I've always described Maryland as there's, you're from DC, Maryland or Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah. I think one of the first questions I asked you was, are you from DC, Maryland or are you from Crab, Maryland? Exactly. Because I am from Crab, Maryland. Precisely. And I'm from yeah. DC, Maryland. But I, anytime we went to the beach, we did not go to the Maryland beaches. We went to Rehoboth. I've only right. been to Ocean City once. Can I level with you? Rehoboth yeah. is the nicer beach of the two. Oh, yeah. Oh, and- yeah. There's a reason everyone calls it Ocean Shitty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. When I was, growing up I thought the show The OC was about <laughs> Ocean City, Maryland <laughs> and you're a big OC fan right? yeah I am so I mean I asked my sister I was like what does that stand for and she's like Ocean City I was like oh totally that tracks yeah <laughs> what did you remember sort of most about this book how did it come to you do you remember that Absolutely. So there were two big bookstores. I think it's down to one now. But in Rehoboth, where I grew up, there were two. One of them is Browse About Books. And I would go in there because it's just off the boardwalk and I'd walk around. And I kind of worked through books faster than my parents really wanted to buy them for me. So I was very precise about the books I'd pick up. And I'd pass this one over so many times because I kept going back to like, it's like this title. I don't know. But I, I'm really glad I picked it up because I found that it was really more than what the title lets it on to be. I picked it up for the first time when I was 14. I read it probably close to 20 times by the end of high school, just because, again, it was so easy to relate to. And I really think there are stronger themes in the book than just the love triangle. And I would kind of open it up for advice and turn to certain pages over and over again until I like ripped the book out of its spine by accident it's just one of those books where I was like I need to talk about this with anybody and everybody that will listen I wonder which Rehoboth bookstore I spent more time in because there there was a summer where I wouldn't stop doing Mad Libs and my parents had to ban it from the car even though the drive was like two hours to Rehoboth yeah I wasn't allowed in the bookstore it was like (laughs) this is awful (laughs) 
for those who have not read the book, that's a log line. Sure. Belly is our protagonist. She <laughs> is a 15 turning 16 year old girl who goes to the beach house with her brother and her mom's friends, family every summer. And she has kind of a love triangle with the two friends that she lives at the beach house with. Mm-hmm. She also has like a pseudo mom relationship with Susanna Beck, who is the mom's friend in the book, who is also a very, very important character. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think mean, you did a great job. Thank I, you. I want to always dip a little context in. Jenny Han was actually born in Richmond, Virginia, which I didn't know. I didn't uh, know that either. Yeah. The, the show became a, a TV series. TV series was shot in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is, is where we shot right. Flash. I haven't watched it. I looked at the descriptions on Amazon. I was like, there's so much in here that was not in the book. I have watched it. They have added Mm -hmm. a few plots. And I really like the show. I'm really looking forward to it. I feel like I'm passing the torch to all the people who are obsessed with it now. I'm like, yes, good. Watch it. As you should. I think think that's so beautiful. But Jenny Han was also uh, went to a magnet school, which I did as well. I'll only mention now that I was gifted and talented, but that is like... (laughs) No, mention it a million times. <laughs> uh, man, because I did work my ass off. <laughs> I know. But it's it's part of the reason why I wanted to start the podcast because I was in like the English major and we've read so much cool stuff, but I did not read like all of the titles that people are asking. So like Where the Red Fern Grows, Lord of the Flies, Kill a Mockingbird, all of sort of the classics right. I didn't get. It's also, I felt like such a huge part of like the Maryland yeah. public school system. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh, I have so many notes in here. There were, I th- I switched books because originally I had picked something that was on the required reading list. Mm-hmm. And then you told me that we had the choice to switch to something that was more required reading for us personally. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm going to push my personal agenda. Good, as you should. <laughs> and all, like, of course, you can always come back. You can always yeah. do more. Oh, I'll be, I'll be here for the entire trilogy, any books you let me do. <laughs> her first book ever was published in college when she was in college. Summer I Turned Pretty is her second book published oh ever. Gosh. Wait, what uh, was her first? Was it, was it To All the Boys? No, it was, um, I think, like a middle grade book about bullying or something it was a one-off oh, i'm obsessed with jenny han and she fully deserving of it right she did, of course to all the boys before which became a netflix film series and now she's showrunner on the spinoff tv series so, i like, really could not have been more excited when i heard to all the boys was being turned into a movie series because deep in the back of my mind i was like that means they're probably gonna touch the summer i turn pretty And I have like, I don't know, a parasocial relationship with this book. So I could not have been more thrilled. And the cast is perfect. Like you couldn't have fan cast it better. Obviously, I think I had like older picks in 2012, 2011 when I was reading it for the first time. But they're great. And I think you can honestly really see so much of Jenny built in to the character of Laurel if you're watching the show as an adult. Oh. And I think that's kind of fascinating because um, Laurel's character, I know you said you haven't had the chance to see the show yet. It's great. They turn Laurel's character into an author Mm -hmm. and they really flesh out her relationship with Beck, which I really appreciate it. God, I'm so old. Now I'm like, I want to know what's going on with Laurel and Beck. Well, 
I do too, because they put so many interesting little tidbits in there. Like, yeah, Mr. Fisher had been Laurel's boyfriend and then passed him on, which is yeah. so strange. Oh my gosh. I mean, the book is fascinating, but it's also fascinating to see where Jenny Han's ideas for these characters have been fluffed out mm-hmm. in the show, because you can see that she's really been given like wiggle room to say more. Yeah. And I think that really plays out to its benefit. And I mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case for everybody who yeah. gets that chance. Absolutely. Two of the most popular books that year, The Lost Symbol by Dan Brown and Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Obama is sworn in for his first term. The first block of Bitcoin is created. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> swine flu happens. Oh my God. Remember swine flu? Yes. <laughs> I was in middle school when swine flu happened and so when COVID happened I was like oh it's gonna be swine flu it's gonna be fine I remember a Facebook memory popped up (laughs) many years back of my mom like quoting middle school me when swine flu happened because I had like a cold or bronchitis or something I was like you really shouldn't make me go to school I think I have swine flu and my mom was like you're going to school you're being dramatic and I was like fine but if I die you're gonna feel so bad If I die and I take out the whole seventh grade class, it's on you. It's on you for starting a national pandemic, mom. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) I did not expect this book to give voice to such specific elements of of my internal life as a teen. I was so amazed of how how cutting it was. I think the number one thing that amazed me is when I was reading this back, I was hooked and I remembered so many specific feelings in my body. Like I would feel it in my chest. I would feel it in my shoulders if Belly was anxious. It's just written so earnestly. Like I said, I picked this book up probably a million times, not even reading it all the way through all the time, but just like flipping to specific pages because I wanted to feel what it felt like and see how Belly handled it in that moment. And I think what Jenny Han is really talented at is treating young adult readers with the respect that their emotions deserve. And I think when you're an adult and you're looking back on moments of your life, you can be like, oh, it was really dramatic about that. But she treats it with like the care and the intensity that it feels in that moment. And I think that's what sets her apart. Including myself in this, we really look down on YA. I think maybe because we look down on young girls. Yeah, yeah. There is such artistry and craft in this. This is so well created in terms of the specificity and the character. And and like you said, it's so visceral. I'm very glad I'm doing this. (laughs) And I'm so glad that this was our first episode because it it is about directly all the things that we want to talk about in this podcast, about childhood, about, you know, hindsight and growing up. It's I'm so glad you chose this book. I am so glad to be talking about it. And again, this is so important to me. I think in the past few years, my writing interests have turned more towards young adult, coming of age, nonfiction turned fiction. Mm -hmm. And it really is about so many more things than just the love triangle. And I'll beat that Mm -hmm. dead horse into the ground. But I've said it before, and I'll say it again, the title is kind of misleading. Absolutely. I don't think Belly really turned pretty over the summer that she was gone I think she found a confidence and a voice in herself and this book is about her discovering and forging her own identity outside of the boys and Mm -hmm. kind of 
beginning to voice that and seeing how people treat her differently. And therefore, it's really one of the best coming of age books out there. The title is such an interesting concept about turning pretty as if it were a switch that you flip. Yeah. At least in my reading, it seemed like the switch was boobs. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and contacts and stuff yeah. like that, which seems trivial and simplistic, but I think also accurate to, right. to how you think about it. Of like, this is the signifier of womanhood. And did you have it or you don't. Did you have a summer where you like in your head turned pretty and you noticed that people were paying attention to you differently? Kind of. I had definitely a big summer. I did this summer program at NYU for a month. And that was the summer I really was like, oh, your, f- <laughs> your friends are supposed to be nice to you? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so I came back and everyone was like, Aaron, you need to stop talking about New York. And I was really hurt about that. And then my dad was like, it's because they're upset. <laughs> yeah, I definitely remember having those moments too. I Remember the moment I got contacts, I got contacts between the summer of sixth and seventh grade. And I was like, people are going to be so nice to me now. And they were not. But the summer that people really started treating me differently was probably between freshman year of high school and sophomore. Mm -hmm. And I remember attributing it to, oh, I'm growing up my bob into like longer (laughs) hair. (laughs) So that must be why. (laughs) But again, it really comes down to I was treating myself differently I was talking about myself a little bit kinder with more confidence and I think when you're treating yourself like you're cool people around you start to treat you like you're cool and I think that was the big difference for me absolutely my caveat to that is I also had just come out of like the first time a boy had ever liked me back and that changes things I was like you know what (laughs) Now I get now I'm uh I'm a woman and mm. I know how to approach the world. Yeah, uh, that was such a, a huge turning point for me that summer was like, oh, other people see value in me. So now it's easier to go home and tell other people that I have value. Right. No boys had ever been interested in me and I didn't have a summer fling or anything like that. But there was this other boy in the program. We'd be walking in a group and he would just stop in front of me. So I would have to run into him. And he was like really like second grade kind oh. of flirting. Like we had a party in a dorm room that was empty and he just sort of like sat on my lap for a second and then like stood up and left. <laughs> that was the flirting. And I was living for it. I was like, yes. I think like very beginning of high school, I realized now in hindsight, my friends picked out a boy and they were like, Aaron, you guys both wear sweaters. <laughs> this is your boy. It's meant to be. Exactly. So my best friend at the time took me to the mall and was like, he always wears striped sweaters. So we're going to do that for you. My first like situationship this boy liked me back his name also started with c like conrad and we both wore maroon a lot and so my best friend was like it's a sign yeah (laughs) my first like kind of date he Mm -hmm. had taken his best friend whose name started with j so i was like hello jeremiah it's a sign Um, it's a sign this is gonna be my first real date and then he picked me up with his best friend in the backseat i was like fuck he doesn't like me at all we talked a little bit about location but reading this i also immediately thought of rehoboth i think because that's that's where i grew up going yeah but i also feel very validated in that if you've never been to rehoboth before it's an atlantic coast beach town i know most people can't point to delaware on the map but it's like a small coastal beach town it's very class driven so you'll have people who 
have spent their entire life there. I spent all year round there and it really is a tourist town. So when the town is closed down for the year, it's a movie theater, a pizza joint, and that's it. And so when summer started back up, it was the most important three months you could possibly have because that was the only three months the town was running. Yeah. And so being a teenager growing up there year round, there was so much anticipation placed on summer and it feels like a lot of pressure. (laughs) Well, first off, let's talk about Belly as a name. Yeah. Let's talk talk about about Belly (laughs) as a name. (laughs) I love the name Isabel, and I remember hearing Belly for the first time and being like, really? Exactly. (laughs) I I was so snarky as a teenager, and I would have put this down in about two seconds Mm -hmm. if she didn't catch me quick. And I think the name, it grew on me. And by the end of it, I was like, okay, you know what? It fits the character. Yeah. And so I'm willing to make really an exception does. for it. If it didn't work so well, yeah, I would have yeah. problems with it. But she does such a good job. By the third book, she starts going by Isabel. And it just feels so raw. And yeah. I love that name. And I was like, this isn't right. Also, the last names in this book, I have to go on a side tangent. Yes, please do. Fisher, Conklin, they just feel so beachy. I loved this quote. So she says, I'd sit next to the radiator in history class and wonder what they were doing, if they were warming their feet along the bottom of a radiator somewhere too, counting the days until summer again. For me, it was almost like winter didn't count. Summer was what mattered. My whole life was measured in summers. Like I don't really begin living until June, until I'm at that beach in that house. And that felt exactly like you were saying. And I had such a similar experience. I went to three different elementary schools and stuff. And after first grade, I went to the summer camp and I ended up meeting my best friend. It was a Girl right. Scout camp. Girl Scouts are a big thing for me. Two girls like go to the latrines. Later, I go to the latrines with another buddy. And I hear this girl pounding on a latrine being like, my buddy locked me in and left. Oh so, my God. So I am just standing there. So I unlock it and I let her out. She goes, oh my God, thank you so much. She brings me back. We're in the same like unit, brings me back and goes, this is my best friend, Laura. And Laura and I are still friends to this day. And they went to a different school like an hour away. I lived for 10 days in the summer where I knew Laura was going to be there. And I remember like every day in third grade going and like hanging up my backpack and being like, Laura will be there this summer. It's okay. (laughs) We'll get through it. That I think was the first moment where I was like, oh, we're dealing with something really, really powerful here in this book. That's so precise. It's so funny you mentioned that specific line because I think I had highlighted it too for a different reason and my reason was oh this is kind of period PC because (laughs) wait a minute I was like why aren't they on Facebook why aren't they they don't get postcards what's going on here because my space would have been around even but what I will say is that there was a very strong distinction for me personally between who was my Maryland friend and who was my Delaware friend. And it felt like they disappeared even with social media when I wasn't like in their presence. One thing I loved about this book is that everything is written in extremes. This is the hardest I'd ever laughed and the whole beach heard us laughing. And this was the worst day of my life and the best day of my life. I was listening to the audiobook just to like sort of put the book back in my head. And it's narrated by Lola Tung, the lead actress in uh, the series. She does a really good job with it. I also noticed that partly because they are cutting back and forth to, you know, flashbacks, there is such an active thing of she is like, 
documenting her story and telling it to herself as it's happening. Right. And sort of this like self-mythologizing, which I a hundred percent did for me, it was in high school, like smartphones had happened and I took pictures of everything. Like I was the group photographer because I could then print them out and we both had clinical depression. So I would be like (laughs) in my, in my bedroom with the walls papered with photos of my friends, like sobbing and be like, I do have friends. They're real. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. So I think I went to high school like a little before you, I went from 2010 to 2014. And by that was the point, year after, yeah. so, you know, by that point, like Tumblr was a thing. Ooh. I had a blog that I ran on Polyvore. And then when I look back on this, I kind of cannot believe I did this, but I had like a blog where I named names of who I was talking <laughs> about. It uploaded to like my like backup Tumblr. So I still have like all of these logs. I'm mortified that this exists, but I was like, this person did this today. And can you believe it? This is the craziest day of my life. Also, yeah. <laughs> my hair is in a Katniss braid. I can't believe, first of all, the extremes that I talked in. But second mm. of all, that I was so bold to like say what I meant on the internet yeah. for anybody to read. And it was kind of a time when we knew that there could be consequences, but we mm. thought that there were like safe spots that we had found. Yeah. My best friend in high school couldn't have been more of like a polar opposite than me Mm -hmm, she was really really tall really blonde really outgoing really nice everybody liked her everyone hated me I like had a tailor so to speak in this book Mm -hmm. yes and we would call each other every night at nine and like talk about our day and talk about like we had we're next to each other for like everything (laughs) we were discussing but we were like but did you see that and what did this mean and I just got this text that said hey haha but only two hahas and not ha 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 what does this mean and I think reading this book put me back in feelings I didn't know I had because when I was reading about Taylor there was like a resentment in me Mm -hmm. for Taylor where I was like "Ugh, you get Mm -hmm. everything you want why can't you let her have this one thing yeah and that was kind of the case for me reading Mm -hmm. it all the way through yeah I had such a weird and complicated best friendship not with the the Girl Scout girl because she and I are still friends um, (laughs) but there was this one girl that I think in like seventh or eighth grade we like looked at each other and had been in the same friend group and we were like, we are both terrified of being alone. We don't like ourselves. And so we're going to like cling on to each other until we die and somehow we'll survive. And the second we graduated, I was like, I'm not talking to this person anymore. I don't, (laughs) I had sort of checked out my senior year. I think because of that summer in New York and stuff, I had just sort of figured out like, I don't really belong here. Right. I am so fascinated by like high school friendships between girls because they are so rabid and the most important thing in the world I just got done taking a class with Second City called writing sadness because I'm writing my pilot kind of about this exact thing rabid teen girl friendships and what makes them form and what makes them blow up I focused a lot on like four very important events that happened to me in high school and my final one was for my like former best friend and Mm -hmm. One of the lines I wrote was like, if we had been teen girls on like a Twitter show that everybody was obsessed with, they would have said we didn't survive the homoerotic teen girl friendship because like, it's so intense. And it's like, what the hell is going on? 
and you don't know it at the time and you can't always Mm -hmm. vocalize it at the time but it was so like I've never had another relationship like it in my entire life romantic relationships included there's nobody that I've ever been that intense with before after or ever again yeah like we talked about in the language of the book everything is life and death and this person is the only way at least for me like I didn't like this girl a lot through her senior year of high school. Like, I very much felt like a sidekick. And I think, like, looking back, there was, like, a degree to which I let that happen and things like that. You know, we're all kids and stuff. But we were drifting as this year passed. And I was like, I don't want to be here anymore. But if I leave her, I have no social connections, which was false. Like, I had lots of friends and things. But I was convinced, like, if you torpedo this one friendship – everything else is that fragile like your place in the world is that fragile oh god I remember so specifically that like at the beginning of high school me and my friend would go to New York City on trips and we'd be so sad by the time we were leaving and sit next to each other on the drive home back to Delaware which was really depressing and we'd be like one day we're gonna move into an apartment building together and we're going to get ready at Sephora every morning at 7 a.m. before our jobs. And then we're going to go to our jobs on Broadway and we're going to come home with our fancy boyfriends who are also on Broadway. And (laughs) we were so confident in what our future looked like. And now I am here and now she is not. And Mm -hmm. even like 10 years later, I'm like, wow, it's really weird not having her here and living the life that we said Mm -hmm. we were gonna live but doing it in a way that is very different than what I imagined and I mean she's doing perfectly fine Mm -hmm. I am not that beat up about it but there are moments where I'm like this wasn't how we planned it and it's still so visceral to go Mm -hmm. through that I think sometimes reading books that are YA Mm -hmm. and put your feelings center stage you're not talking really about anything other than what you're feeling in that exact moment can just be like really heartwarming and I think that's why I get so drawn to writing in this Mm -hmm. style yeah and I find that I still write in the style that like Jenny Han Mm -hmm. writes in this book just because it was so impactful to me and it still is even though I hadn't picked the book up in so long page 30 your divorced dad taking you to Applebee's is the saddest thing I've ever heard in my life my gosh I have like wiped out Belly's dad and honestly her brother from like my recollection and I forgot that they were even characters until is the brother in the show yeah he is and like what's crazy is like I've read this book and the trilogy like multiple times I never think about the brother and unless I have like the notes pulled up directly in front of me. It's like mm-hmm. hard to even remember his name sometimes. And yeah. same goes for the dad. Like I can't separate the Fisher dad and yeah. Belly's dad in my mind because they're just like, I don't know, they're background. Yeah, functionally, they're kind of the same. Yeah, I mean, I and I guess that's kind of the point is yeah. these are just like divorced dads who are not a part of the summer. Mm-hmm. but just anytime they're on the page I'm just like let's keep it moving right you know I expected this to like bring up feelings about your childhood and stuff what I didn't expect is like how bad I would feel for these parents especially Belly's parents yeah like, in that same section 
she's talking about like all of the ways that his apartment is wrong. It's a beautiful piece of writing because she's listing all of these things. And like, if he had asked me, I would have wanted like yellow sheets instead of pink sheets or something like that. And it's so heartbreaking because you can fully understand where Belly is coming from. Right. And as an adult, you can be like, he is trying. He is trying in so many ways. And like the most basic element is he's not going like, is this good? Is this what you want? Little bits of communication like that that get missing. That was every day of my life in my teen years. Belly is so negative about her mom. I honestly feel bad for Laurel. Mm -hmm. And I like there's so many times, I mean, you and I both have like, you know, I don't think there is a more complicated relationship in humanity than between a mother and a daughter. Oh my gosh. I don't think it exists. No, I don't think so either. I am the middle child of five. So like my bedroom growing up was like either things that my younger brother was handing up or my older sister was handing down. And there was so little in life that was mine. And I remember that my resentment kind of reached a boiling point somewhere around like ninth grade when I was reading this. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time I really understood why belly leaned towards Beck as much as she did but reading Mm -hmm. it back as an adult I'm like well give your mom some exactly (laughs) go hug your mom I'm like she doesn't really seem that bad (laughs) there's even a line where she's like she even cut cake badly and the thing is that hurts so much and yet I know I did that I know like I have had unkind thoughts this that sounds like I'm in a cult but I know I've had those kind of thoughts of like of just being so angry and everyone here is trying their best. Right. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, like, I re- I vividly remember that when I turned 15, instead of making me a cake for my birthday, my mom made cupcakes. And I was oh like, why God. is this cupcakes and not what a cake? A sinner. Am yeah. I not good enough for a full-sized cake? Yes. And it was just like little things like that that don't matter in the grand scheme yeah. of things where I, I, I could have been kinder. And yes, like... My mom could have theoretically asked, but like, did it really matter in the grand scheme of things? No. There are so many moments like that where you look back Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, well, that was kind of on me. Yeah. When there are moments Mm -hmm. where you're like, no, you actually did that wrong. And I I have more of a right to be talking about that than I am. And it's weird what you focus on at the time. Mm Absolutely. Absolutely. The book's been out for 15 years, so I don't care about spoilers. uh, Yeah. I mean, if you spoil it, it is what it is. Sorry. So it's it's revealed in the end that Beck's cancer has returned and that she's not going to go through chemo and stuff and that everyone else has known this except for Belly the whole summer. And there's a line in like the last 20 pages or so of the book where she, where Belly says, if I said it out loud, it would be like admitting that she really did have cancer, that this was really happening. And that... My version of that is like one of the most profound, painful moments of my life was that I had acne all growing up, like starting in fourth grade. My mom wanted me to go to her dermatologist all throughout high school. And I couldn't put this into words until I was in college. But if I went to a dermatologist, that meant you are so ugly. We need medical attention. And again, it's all good intentions. One day my mom was like crying, trying to get me to go. And she goes, Erin, you could be so pretty. But when people look at you, all they see is zits and hair. Oh, my Uh, my heart (laughs) breaks for you. Exactly. (laughs) I know my mom is like just trying to get through the day. And I think that's such a, a parent thing is to survive the day. And to you, that becomes like the greatest moment of your whole life. When I really get down to the bones, why this stuck with me. Mm -hmm. It's a book about grief. 
And yes, I mean, I think you know this, but my dad passed away when mm-hmm. I was 16, about to turn 17. Oh, wow. So I had already read this book multiple times by that point, obviously. And my dad didn't pass away from cancer or anything that we mm-hmm. knew was coming. He died of alcoholism like mm-hmm. several years after the fact. And it was because we couldn't address the problem. And it's not that we didn't know how sick or how bad it was. It's just that like nobody could talk about what was happening. Yeah. And therefore nobody looked for help until it was very, very late. And by that point, when I first read this book, I probably considered myself a belly. But when I read it back as an adult, I was like, oh, I was a Conrad. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, by the end of the book, Conrad is more adjusted to the news than anybody else because Mm -hmm. he's the only one that's been sitting with it and like not really talking about it, but he's the only one that's been like really reconciling with it for the entirety of the book. Everybody's been giving Conrad a hard time. Everybody's like, why are you so grouchy? Why are you so withdrawn? Conrad's the only one dealing with his grief. Yeah. I think that's why it hits everybody else like a tidal wave by the end. And Conrad's really the only one stepping up to the plate to Mm -hmm. deal with it. Yeah. I think that's such an interesting way to phrase it. Cause I I think when I came away from the book, like you said, it's not about the love triangle. I think for me, it's about responsibility and, and all of the, the responsibilities that come with adulthood and, and all of the nastiness in there. And I think in what you're saying, like Conrad is the one person who like takes responsibility for the situation, at least in that he's like, I'm going to let it happen and like yeah. try not to deny that it's happening. I had never thought of it that way. And and he sort of like becomes kind of one of the most adult people in the book, even though he's brooding and stuff, because at least he's accepting he's feeling, reality. Yeah, what's it? happening. Yeah. And I mean, it's very, very easy to look at Conrad if you haven't gone through what he's going through mm-hmm. and say, oh my gosh, just cheer up. You still yeah. have a mom in this mm-hmm. moment. You still have your brother and you're spending a summer and you should be having fun right now. Right. But what he's being asked to do is very, very difficult. And it's unfair to him. And there's really nobody talking about it. And that's so hard for anybody, but especially for a teenager to go through. And did I read this right? That he has graduated high school at this point. So by the end of the first book, he is 18 going into his freshman college year. Yeah. Conrad has dropped out of doing football, which in my mind, mm-hmm. again, I retconned to him doing like arts. <laughs> <laughs> that Conrad has never been a football player in my brain. And so when I read that, my brain went, no. <laughs> I was like, that's not Conrad. I don't know who you're talking about. But like he's started shutting out the the parts of him that belong to a younger, like happier self. And mm. he's becoming more broody. And I was like, even before my dad died, I was like, oh, I love Conrad. That, that reminds me. I got to ask you, are you team Conrad mm. or team Jeremiah or team Cam? I- for anybody. I so in the end I was so disappointed by the last chapter. I was like yeah. I was angry. I was I have this rule for storytelling which is like if you through the whole book movie whatever are saying you have to choose between A and B. You yeah. have to choose A and B. Neither can be the correct answer in the end. You have to have a third surprise option. Right. And so I think it was so disappointing to me that she had gone through the story of like romantic love isn't the most important thing. I haven't like been here for my family and my extended family. And but then I get a boyfriend and things are cool again because yeah. I have a boyfriend. But I also at the same time it's like I 
I had a really hard time getting over my first relationship for a number of reasons, but also because like someone had said I was girlfriend worthy. (laughs) And like, what if that never happens? Happens ever again. Exactly. Oh my gosh. No, I, again, I go back to my own like CNJ relationship. And I mean, this poor boy probably regrets me so badly. I was so dramatic in the end about it mm-hmm. falling apart and I was grasping for tr- straws trying to keep it together yeah. because I was convinced if it fell apart there was no way it was ever going to happen exactly again. 100% um, obviously I am very staunch in my belief of being like a team Conrad and belly girl but <laughs> with that being said I mm-hmm. I remember really really thinking that like the narrative answer even the time was like belly choosing herself in the end yeah yeah and if you read the full trilogy she kind of hip hops a few times like back and forth between them and kind of each book is dedicated to one or the other so I was convinced by the third book she would choose herself and obviously (laughs) she makes a choice I think I had a hard time to swallow Jeremiah just because he was so yes so This is the third time we scheduled recording this podcast. Last week before we recorded, we're supposed to record Georgia. You posted that you have a personal vendetta against Jeremiah Fisher. I do. This is (laughs) now. Say it now. This is the time. I know you said spoilers don't matter, but he does something in the third book that's like Mm -hmm. so awful and like borderline out of character that like I have never been able to forgive him. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's brutal. And I... It's like tied to a trauma that hadn't even happened to me yet. But like, oh my God. I mean, I was just like, I will never be able to forgive Jeremiah. And like, it's even reading it back, I was like, even his happy moments, I was like, I can't, I can't get behind this guy. I just can't. I don't know if you want me to spoil it or not. Sure, sure, sure. So in the beginning of the third book, mm-hmm. Jeremiah and Belly are going to the same college. They are in a relationship. Jeremiah cheats on Belly with like a totally different girl. And yeah. then to make her forgive him, he proposes to her when she's like no. 18. And Ugh. so this is the beginning of that book. And so the rest of the book is just like them like trying to like force a before you're 21 even like wedding and everybody is against it including the reader and you're just like why is this happening (laughs) and it's so upsetting but thankfully they don't get married in the end Um, (laughs) but like I was just like I will never be able to get behind this guy ever he's a deeply upsetting character to me and I think it's because of his lack of being able to grapple with his feelings yeah and that is just so anti how I am as a person the brothers seem so polarized often because I think Conrad is dealing with it enough for both of them and Jeremiah does sort of feel like kind of Peter Pan like just sort of denying it and and I think even with that like Belly is like so desperately trying to be an adult and like yeah. wants that for herself so much. And Jeremiah, it like he does seem. I think when you're starting the book and you don't know about Beck, he is just sort of like a fun guy. We're all trying yeah. to have fun here, but he does end up coming off like very callous. I think we're so often conditioned to look at characters who are like doom and gloom, like yeah. Conrad, and just be like. 
why can't this guy lighten up? But there's something about Jeremiah that always read disingenuous to me. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I think he was like a bad person as much as I just was like, this guy can't even like talk to himself about what he's feeling. And I can't trust him as a character to talk about how anybody else is feeling. I I think in Jeremiah, and maybe this was in the text, maybe I read into it a little bit. It's his job to maintain the vibe of the whole family. Oh, definitely. He's like summer personified. Exactly. And so I think in all of this, I'm also trying to be like, they're teens, you know, they're kids. And and try to give them that grace because I think they're both overcorrecting, you know. And and I do think he is thinking this is, if he is thinking about it consciously, this is mom's last summer. Right. So we got to go all out. Even in that, like... He has to be aware of it some, it's, it, to right. some degree. I mean, he has a crush on Belly and knows that Susanna has to think of all this. So, like, even to a point of, like, well, I have to make a move on Belly now because mom has to. This right. is one of the most frustrating. My dad went on a diet in third grade and he looks at me and he's like, it's because I want to walk you down the aisle one day. I want to be standing up. And I was like, great. Now I, do I even want to get married? No, right. Now there's, now there's so much pressure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there are stages to grief. And I yeah. think when you look at Jeremiah, it's very clear he's like stuck in denial. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I can't really blame him for that. Yeah. But I I don't know. This is my own like weird mm-hmm. thing where I'm like, I want to push him along. But I know that like grief isn't linear. Mm-hmm. You can't make people go through it step by step. You sometimes hop around and you go back to where you began and then you're at a totally different stage and it never there's no end point Mm -hmm. but it's also very hard when you're a kid in their position and it hasn't happened yet so you're just bracing for a car accident that you don't know when it's coming that's really difficult and it can make you very tense yeah and everybody handles it very differently Mm -hmm. and so I feel for both of the boys rereading it I felt the least compassionate for belly by the end really <laughs> yeah, yeah i i understand where you're coming from with that because she and i think she kind of gets on herself about it is that you're right. just tooting around summer loving right and there's life and death things happening she wants to fault herself for that and it was completely by everyone else's design belly mm-hmm. is really interesting because she is a blank canvas yes. and so she is very much like you said writing the story while it is happening mm-hmm. but that is very frustrating <laughs> When you are looking at it from as like the perspective of somebody who's already been through it before. And I Mm -hmm. think this is something that you feel when you're a teen who has already gone through it or when you're an adult who has already gone through it. And this is how we get to the point where we're stigmatizing YA as a genre is we're looking at it with hindsight and we're criticizing feelings that have already happened to us. And the character is going through emotions that have never happened before in their entire life. And so- we want them to react the way we did or the way we wish we had. Yeah. And we give them a lot more judgment than I think we would give any person that's actually going through that situation in real life. Absolutely. There's no grace. <laughs> There's such a desperate urgency to undo the mistakes that you as the reader had made that you are so harsh on the characters to not make those mistakes. And yet those mistakes are, are the building blocks of of adulthood and of life. And it's so painful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Like, it, it puts me back in the moment when I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't do that. But we can't stop it. And I think... This book is really about 
what it's like to become an adult and Mm -hmm. realize that you don't really have any say in the matter and you just have to do your best to be kind to people while they're going through it. Adulthood is, is a responsibility and on the flip side of it, of acknowledging that you have to let go of responsibility for the world and right and and those are such conflicting messages i think for for a tiny little brain to handle absolutely and you gave me a question to think about before we came onto this podcast mm-hmm. and it was like would you consider this book to be required reading in mm-hmm. school and i think it's interesting i remember really trying to get my friends to read this book yeah. at that age and they were like uninterested for one reason or the other but I Mm. was very anxious to get them to read it because I was like no but if you get to the end maybe you'll understand me differently exactly (laughs) and I think that's where it kept coming back for me because I was like but if you if you understand Conrad or if you like Conrad maybe you'll like me or you'll understand me and what I'm doing and how I'm reacting differently Mm -hmm. and I think every person when they're growing up no matter what age they are they have that book at one point in time absolutely yeah and I think if it wasn't for books like this that really let me feel what I was feeling in the moment (laughs) and process it and go back to it and read it over in my mind I don't think I would understand myself as well as I do now yeah and I'm so grateful that I had that. And if I was to make anything a requirement in school, it would be great if kids had more free time to read or yeah. like the ability to talk about the books that are personal to them in class so they can vocalize those feelings. Yeah. And I think if that was the case, we'd see more people reading for fun into adulthood. Yeah. In doing this podcast, you know, I've got maybe seven or eight episodes lined up. Very few of them are like great works of literature. <laughs> and I and like I think I think that's what we should have been doing instead. It's not that I want that part of my life back mm-hmm. as much as sometimes it's very it feels like reading a book on like a rainy day where yeah. I, I like close my mind and I like put on a certain song from that mm-hmm. point in my life and I'm like I'm back there for a second. Yeah. And it feels really I don't know how to explain it other than like it's a strange feeling to sometimes Mm -hmm. be like how would my life have turned out if I had gotten everything I wanted yeah would it really have been the best for me if I had Mm -hmm. exactly and I don't know if it would have been yeah growing up is hard to do absolutely (laughs) and I this book it's it's so funny because you look at the title you look at the cover you look Mm -hmm. at I don't know even just like the genre of young adult and you're like I don't really know if there's anything this can teach me and the answer is it can teach you so much about so much even about yourself 10 plus years ago (laughs) so she has her first kiss with Cam and he asks if he can kiss her and she goes I wish he hadn't asked this is such an interesting question to me because my first kiss, someone asked me if yeah. they could kiss me. And I thought it was the cutest thing in the world. I also thought, like, there is no thing that this person can do wrong, I think, is, like, the context of it. And yeah. everyone since has been like, why would they ask you? That's awful. I hate that. And I just wanted to know your opinion. <laughs> I mean, uh, so here's the thing. I love spontaneity. Yeah. And I know what she's saying. I don't think she's, like, making a case against consent in that situation or anything like that I think she's really just saying it wasn't like the romance novel I was picturing 
like you know in princess diaries where she's like i am expecting to pop my foot i think that's what belly wanted and like asking the question kind of took her out of the moment i think that's all she's trying to say Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) it is that process of like of i I have been telling myself how this is going to happen and you are not doing the script that I wrote. This conversation is not going how I went in my head. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Speaking of (laughs) the boy named C that I was obsessed with at the time. I remember after we went on like our kind of like failed maybe date. Yeah. I remember looking at him and being like, things just like aren't the same. Like he's not talking at me. He's not looking at me. He could have really just been anxious. Mm-hmm. But it felt so personal at the time. Yeah. And so I remember reading this book and specifically the second book where Belly and Conrad like break up and she's like demanding that he vocalize his feelings, which he has a hard time doing. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that and being like, that is my exact situation. <laughs> I am going to message my C right now and tell him basically word for word like I'm I was a lunatic every girl is on their first breakup and has every right to be until like until you are burning large pieces of property you're fine yeah I drafted like I want to say five paragraphs to this Mm -hmm. boy on like a conservative (laughs) estimate that was like I really like you but I don't think you're really able to vocalize what I'm looking for and I know you care about me but it feels weird that you can't say that (laughs) and and I Mm -hmm. sent it off and he sent back what I could tell was a really long message because back in the olden days it used to be like one slash four if (laughs) you got like a really long text message back and I looked at that for a really long time and I was like I know he's just said something really really honest to me and he might have confessed his feelings where he might have said, you're being really dramatic and crazy, which is like, I'll never know because I deleted the message That's and so I brave. never talked to him ever again. And I, I was mortified and it like mm-hmm. broke my heart in so many ways, but I, I wanted the best for him, but I realized mm-hmm. we weren't really the best for each other. And I think yeah. that was a hard thing to get to. And that was harder than him not liking me. You even telling that story. That's silly amount of emotional intelligence from you at such a young age that's amazing (laughs) oh my god so intense and I that was the same year someone like you by Adele came out oh no I listened to it so many times on repeat until my mom physically unplugged the router because I was just distraught for like two years after that I was like no one will ever understand me again and I had caused my own drama (laughs) It was so brutal. And it's another one of those things where it's like, you only feel this once and it is so intense while you're feeling it and nothing will ever feel as intense ever again. (laughs) This is something I want to praise Jenny Han for because the details are so specific. The food in this book is fascinating with the constant stream of Kool-Aid, Twizzlers, she has a Doritos sandwich, which I cannot complain about because I was such a picky eater when I was young that in third grade I was eating butter sandwiches. Yeah, just butter and bread. Oh Keep it simple. I mean, no, I'm, I'm with you. It was the same. <laughs> I love bread. It was so fascinating to, to see those things that are so deeply juvenile. Yeah. Paired with, with cancer and death and divorce and oh man. Uh. It really puts you back. I worked at a restaurant every summer 
and it was a seafood restaurant like right on the boardwalk it's closed down since which i'm devastated by because what i would give to have a crab cake sandwich and read read this book on the beach i i'd go i'd give anything for it i think everywhere in maryland probably had this where you have finished all your classes in senior year and then you all go to the beach and it's called beach week and you get stupid drunk and people get tattoos while losing at mini golf yeah and i remember like spending all of senior year being like where are we going we have a 12 person friend group no one has a beach house i think steven mentioned his uncle's friend has one so we need a friend steven so we can get over there And of course, it did not happen. <laughs> I'm dying. I wish we had known each other because you could have just I come know. to mind. <laughs> so I'm always trying to get somebody to go to Rehoboth with me. Oh my God. No- yeah. Nobody ever wants to do it. I'm like, it's the most fun place in yeah. the world to be. Or like Dewey uh, Beach. Or yeah. Honestly, I'd go to Ocean City at this point. Yeah. But yeah. after prom, they gave us shot glasses and belly skirts for our prom favors. And so we all went to grotto's pizza we took their free like don't drink pizza that they were like handing out to the seniors and we like poured alcohol in our shop classes and we got really drunk and sat on the ground like the grotto's pizza roof on the boardwalk and i was just like this is yeah that's the american dream this is i was like i'm living the dream right now i don't know how you could ever get better than this that's kind of one of the most novelistic mm-hmm. moments no, of I know life. exactly what you mean but you were talking about there's always like don't drink and drive programs yeah I was obsessed with the WJLA news team that we had but Leon Harris came every single year to give us the don't don't drive drunk speech and like last year he got arrested for drunk driving no it, yes all of our heroes fall my friends and I were so bad we were so misbehaved we would go to Wawa we would get a slushy and fill it up halfway and then we would like mix in our like alcohol stored in my my Mm -hmm. basement bedroom it's so funny you mentioned (laughs) your tv sponsor you know my bo biden story right vaguely oh my god yeah joe biden uh i don't know where he's from but it was the the senator house rep for delaware everybody in delaware has a biden story my biden story is so insane that i am turning it into a pilot Good. So just to give you a brief synopsis and plug yes. my own work, um, yes, as you should, when I was in theater, my teacher was kind of crazy and yes. Bo Biden came to our school and he wanted us to put on bullying sketches. <clears throat> so my theater teacher was like, I've assigned three very important monologues. And one of them was about domestic violence. The other one was about like, really nasty names you could call a person and then she got to me and she told me she wanted me to write a suicide letter she wanted it to be about my real life this was probably about i want to say six months after my like self-inflicted breakup with my boy named c yeah and i knew i couldn't really talk about like what was going on with Mm -hmm. my home life because otherwise like dps would get involved Yeah. yeah and so I wrote this seven minute long, really painful, like suicide mm-hmm. letter. And I had to perform it in front of the entire community, including oh my, my boy named C three times. And Bo Biden for some reason was also there three times. And it was so 
awkward. And I gave everybody pseudonyms, but everybody knew. Yeah. Then Bo Biden was like, everybody, we stopped bullying. And by <clears> the end of it, I was so mortified that he did like a little Q&A after and I stuck around and I raised my hand. This was not his fault. This was definitely my theater teacher's fault. Yeah. <laughs> he was so proud of himself that he had like done this really impactful thing. And I raised my hand and I was like, he was like, yes, you? I was like, hi, I'm the girl from the suicide monologue. He was like, we know. And that made me so angry that I was like, yeah, that was about my real life, actually. Yeah. And uh, this didn't really help. So what are you doing to actually impact change? And he felt so bad that he made the school bring in like a real therapist and they paid for me to get therapy for a year on the school's behalf. Oh my God, good. Is that not the most insane thing you've ever heard? That is insane. Like a school PBS program doing? On the flip side, everything at our school was about getting into college. Nothing else mattered. We had like five or six counselors. Our counselor was uh, an older retired Marine with a very strong like Italian Jersey accent, tattoos everywhere. And he was famous. Even before I started this uh, high school, I had friends whose siblings had Yeah. And they were like, if you go to Mr. Trying, he will open a drawer and hand you a gourd from his office and say, please stop. And so there was like one girl and he was like, oh, if you see open her locker, gourds pouring and pouring, pouring out. Looking back as an adult, I was definitely not the only person in my school who had depression. But like Mm -hmm. after that moment, I definitely became like the school's depression spokesperson. Oh, my God. No, I didn't ask to be. I didn't want to be. It was so strange because my guidance counselor would like corner me in the hall and he'd be like, you know, we're starting an anti-bullying group. And I'd be like, okay, great. I'm not bullied. Just so you know, I'm like, I am not that nice. Um, (laughs) He was like, we need you to be the president of it. I was like, I don't want to be, but I had like adopted this personality of being like the school's trauma queen. And like, I was just like, you know what? Fine, whatever. I'll do it. And I mean, I didn't bully anybody, but I was definitely not bullied. And I felt so strange, like, leading the change. I remember the first time I heard about you as a person. I think we have a mutual friend in Topher Kusumano. Yes, Topher. And Topher was like, you would love Aaron. And I'm so glad we met because I, I have the best time talking to you. Because uh, we, I don't know, we always... I have so much to talk about. I know. I have one last thing on the book. Yeah. Which is um, just because it's, I'm staring at it. The one of the most, probably the most heartbreaking moment in the book to me is Belly talks about Conrad's relationship with his father. Right. And she says, I will love this boy forever. And it's because his dad didn't come to visit them. And yet Conrad is still making breakfast for this dad who won't come. And it's, I will love him because no one else will. And that, not only did that gut me for Connor, it also gutted me for Belly that she is 15 and actively thinking about how do I take care of other people? It was devastating. I think there are also just so many people that you look at and you love them because of how they treat other people yeah and i think that is so much of the appeal for belly is she's just like look Mm -hmm. at this boy and look at all he's going through and look at how he's still showing up yeah and there's this really really gutting moment in book two 
and it's like at his mom's funeral and she is really being very selfish in this moment and she looks at him and he's like heartbroken and crying on like his ex-girlfriend's shoulder and she walks Mm -hmm. in on them and she tells him to go to hell and it's this moment where she's like I told the boy I love the most in the world to go to hell on the worst day of his life. And I don't know if I will ever be able to forgive myself for that. It's the same moment on the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. yeah. Where you're just like, oh, this this poor boy. Yeah. (laughs) I walk away from it. And I think Conrad is definitely the most Mm -hmm. impactful character to me and probably always will be. I feel all the things she feels for him because I feel for him so much yeah do you know what I mean mm-hmm. yeah absolutely I think the only other character that I I really felt for was Belly's mom yeah um, can I just say Laurel is such a Sagittarius my mom is a Sagittarius I think you're a Sagittarius I am. if I remember correctly it's true well and she does give that yeah yeah it's just like there's something about her where I look at her and I'm like you know what she she knows what's going on but she's always gonna put herself first and she's not mm-hmm. gonna like lean more into the situation or feel yeah. too bad for herself than she has to and i really really admire her <laughs> she has like such she has really clear boundaries she's really clear understanding of like what her children need i think like as much as I love Beck, and it's not really her fault, I think yeah. it's the, their dads, that those kids are really being parentified. But I think, like, Laurel's just – Laurel, I think, is doing the best with what she has, and she's doing a good job. Laurel's not complaining. We need to read the second book at some okay. point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force you. Like, I tried to Absolutely. force my friends. Oh, the second book, I just finished reading it because I couldn't stop the trilogy <laughs> after I yeah. started. And there's a moment where Belly – tells her mom that like she wish Beck had been her mom instead of oh. her and this is after Beck has passed away because yeah. she passes away in the bridge between the books mm-hmm. and this is the only time Laurel really sticks up for herself and she like yeah. slaps Belly across the face because her um, best friend just died yeah. and her daughter is being I feel for Belly but she's being such a brat <laughs> yeah she <laughs> is there's yeah we really don't talk about the fact that like laurel loses her best friend and it's she not does. just what belly and the boys lose and i was listening to the audiobook this morning and i was at the moment where everyone gets to the beach house for the first time together and it, it's such a throwaway line but laurel has tears in her eyes and reading that back as like oh you were walking into this summer also knowing yeah this is the time this is the last summer you'll have this is where I have to pack up my friendship with you pack up my children's relationship with you your children's relationship with you and pretend to be happy I get where Beck was coming from but at the same time I'm just like I wish she had let everybody get the closure they needed oh yeah it's just such a brutal moment when it hits you in the end why everybody's been acting the way they have this entire book yeah and you feel for everyone (laughs) yeah man i know that's grief that's (laughs) grief baby (laughs) well i'm so excited to do this second i know one last question sure how how was it how do you feel having come off of it (sighs) i feel like I've been standing outside in the rain and the rain has just stopped and I am still soaking wet, but everything is sunny and smells like grass. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, how I feel. I am so glad you picked this book. I'm so glad it's our first episode in 
giving belly the grace of hindsight i think i'm i'm also doing the artist's way yeah. so i'm doing a lot of inner <laughs> child's there i think is such a such a argument to be made for reading books for children yeah. and for teens as an adult to come back to that part of yourself yeah i think yeah. in order to really talk about the books that matter to you you have to get in tune with why yeah. and i think this is the book where it's just so clear why mm-hmm. it mattered to me in yeah. like every regard and i just feel I don't know. I walked away with it with more grace for myself at the same time. What I wasn't expecting, what I was so thrilled to see is that my writing style has picked Mm -hmm. up so many like small things that I noticed Jenny Han did. Mm -hmm. And it's still with me. And that felt really cool to see in a way that I wasn't expecting. So wonderful. I'm so glad. Me too. Now I'm excited to go write. (laughs) I know. Um, I guess that's the end of our first episode. Do you have anything to plug? Anything you want? Uh, Yeah. Read my pilot. (laughs) Whenever it's done, (laughs) hire me to write on things. I I really am very earnest and I want to do the job. (laughs) Me too. I think the world needs more people like us, more books like this. Oh, yeah. That's something I'm realizing lately is I just just want to tell it like it is. I just yeah. want to talk about my feelings so bad. Exactly. <laughs> Good. Good, as we all should. 